That is some great music, isn't it? I tell you, this place should be packed for that kind of singing. It's just, just remarkable. I, uh, I so enjoy our new classic service and what we're discovering together here in worship. So I hope that you're uh, sharing the story of your worship life with some of your friends and neighbors. Uh, we have been very intentional in this service about working out the details and refining our ability to have this flow of worship, and then we're going to start advertising because we want more people here. Our text of Scripture for today comes from the prophet Jeremiah. We've been working our way through Jeremiah and Lamentations and a variety of Old Testament texts. And I want to pick up the text of Scripture a little further down in the reading than at the beginning. The days are surely coming, says the Lord. It begins two paragraphs. I'll be reading from the second one in the printed bulletin. Listen for God's word for you. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, a covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No longer shall they teach one another or say to each other, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? And so, gracious God, we come. We come to receive that which you give. We come to hear your word. So quiet within us any voice but your own, that we might hear your word and be doers of your word as well. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Elementary school teachers often tell wonderful stories about the children in their classes and the creative ways that they put pieces of information together. So one elementary school teacher decided to take some of the old parables and proverbs that are familiar and give the first half to the students and then ask the students to write the last half. Here are some of the results. It's better to be safe than to punch a fifth grader. It's, the <laughs> it's always darkest before daylight savings time. You can't teach an old dog new math. An idle mind is the best way to relax. <laughs> A penny saved is not much. (laughs) 
Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you have to blow your nose. And finally, when the blind leadeth the blind, get out of the way. (laughs) Kids have a wonderful way of perceiving the world and understanding their experience. On one occasion, a little boy whose younger brother was baptized on the way home from church was sobbing in the back seat. And his father asked him on three occasions, Johnny, what's wrong? And finally, Johnny blurted out, well, the pastor said he wanted us to grow up in a Christian home, and I want to stay with you guys. (laughs) A Christian home. What does a Christian home look like? On this Stewardship Sunday, we are remembering that as households that intend to serve the Lord... Those households are also always generous households, sharing their blessings with others and with the community of faith. You may have uh, become familiar with the television show, This Old House, which they show remodeling of old homes and uh, making them new for a new generation. According to Jeremiah, God intends a fairly significant remodeling of our lives from within. Nothing quite demonstrates that remodeling and reconstruction like hearts that are generous and giving. Many of you, I think, will remember a name that has gone down in the lore from the middle part of the 20th century on the west coast of the United States, especially in Presbyterian circles. Reverend Robert Munger was the pastor at the Hollywood Presbyterian Church and then at First Presbyterian Church in Berkeley, and then at the University Presbyterian Church in Seattle. He also taught at Fuller Seminary, and he was known throughout the West Coast in particular, but he is perhaps best known for a sermon that he preached that gained wide access, and the title of that sermon was, My Heart, Christ's Home. He began the sermon this way. One evening I invited Jesus into my heart, and what an entrance he made. It was not spectacular, was not an emotional thing, but it was very real. Something happened at the center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart, and he turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been stillness, and he filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. Munger then went on in the sermon to describe various rooms in his life, in his heart, Christ, over time, began to enter from the living room into the study and from the study then into the dining room and eventually came to these closets where he was embarrassed at what Christ would find there. Munger continued in the sermon, I'll give you the key, I said sadly, 
but you will have to open the door and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. Just give me the key, the Lord said. Authorize me to take care of all of it. And he walked over. Excuse me. Authorize me to take care of that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. And he walked over to the door. He opened it. He entered. He took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting there, and he threw it away. Then he cleaned it, and he painted it, and it was done in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and what release to have that dead thing out of my life, wrote Munger. Now you can see why that sermon was so popular. It illustrates this central thesis of our faith. It illustrates this new covenant that Jeremiah wants to talk about. People throughout the centuries, like Bob Munger, have opened their hearts to the Lord and they've discovered that there's something new at the center of their lives. And that spark has motivated them, common people like you and me, to live with greater generosity and greater character and greater integrity. Because something happened at the center of their lives. Those people were motivated to take difficult stands, to preach the message of the gospel of God's redeeming love with boldness. It motivated them to circle the world as missionaries, even to stand up to demagogues and to dictators as martyrs. Literally, the world has been turned upside down by those who have turned towards Jesus Christ. And it seems to me our institutions and our entire society will never become more effective, more faithful, unless there are people within it who live with greater integrity and character. Some years ago, the press coverage was extensive both before and after the event. Two great California universities battled for bragging rights as they met together on neutral ground with a crowd of onlookers. And I'm not talking about football. The event I have in mind is, was represented by both USC and Caltech. The presidents of each of those schools met together at Polytech High School some years ago as part of that private school Centennial Distinguished Speaker Series in Pasadena. And the president of USC at the time, Steve Sample, and the president of Caltech, Jean-Lou Chamou, I think is how you pronounce his name, they were both invited to speak about the role of education today. And both presidents agreed, in the words of Steve Sample, that the bachelor's degree has become a way station, a preparatory degree. It's no longer an end in itself. End quote. Or as the Caltech president described it, 
the average Caltech graduate will have at least nine different jobs during his or her career. So even at this highly technical, hands-on school like Caltech, the main goal is to ingrain students with a, not with a particular skill, but to make sure they can think, make sure they know how to solve problems. Scholars want to ensure that students can think for themselves and can solve problems that they will face throughout their career. In other words, it's not what happens in the classroom that matters most. It's what happens within the student that matters most. And classroom teaching and effectiveness is evaluated based on the outcome in the student's life. What happens in the classroom isn't unrelated to what happens within the student. But in the final result, the goal of education is transformed minds and increasing capability for dealing with a rapidly changing environment. So there's little value in preparing students today for a world that no longer exists. Today's students will need to know how to think and use their minds and solve problems that we can't even imagine today. I think that's what Jeremiah is getting at. Like those other institutions of learning, the church is interested in what happens within people within the hearts and the minds of those who come and attend worship or attend classes or join the church. What happens in our sanctuary and in our classrooms isn't what matters most. What matters most is what happens in the minds and the hearts of those of us who worship here. The goal is changed lives. That's central to the gospel. And all that we do here seeks to shape the inner person. What happens here is if we're effective and if by God's grace the Spirit gets loose in our lives, we're in the world but we're no longer in it the same way. And the story of the New Testament is a story about God becoming flesh and dwelling among us with every intention of getting under our skin and into our lives and into the place where we live and where we decide and make our decisions. So like a flower that turns towards the sun to receive life-giving energy, the human heart, when it turns towards the Son of God, finds what it needs most, what brings it to life. No one can enjoy a great life without becoming a great human being. And no one becomes a great human being without having a great heart. I've known very intelligent, well-educated people who were never quite able to pull 
the elements of their life together. It's possible to have a great education and live a shallow and a selfish life. It's possible, but it's not necessary. So the prophet, the prophet Jeremiah envisions this new covenant with God, a covenant that would not be imposed from outside or without, but would be ingrained within us. And it would create this new humanity. Today, people talk about who we are in our heart of hearts. Perhaps you've heard that expression, the place where we are most authentically ourselves. That's what Jeremiah is talking about. Covenants had been around for a long time. The relationship with the Lord has always been understood to be a gift of God and an obligation as well to the covenant. Presbyterians are really known for this, covenantal theology. The the Lord freely commits himself to be faithful, but in return expects, expects to be followed. Following a period of correction and renewal, this new covenant with the Lord was to be written on the human heart. Not just a renewed people dedicated to the Lord, but a new kind of humanity altogether, changed from within. And if you're like me, when you read the newspaper, on some level you long for a new kind of humanity. It was this new covenant, which the New Testament describes this way, the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. New Testament simply means new covenant. The Apostle Paul, when he was praying for the church at Ephesus, put it this way, May God grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Faith is about what happens within us. It doesn't end there, but it does begin there. And on this Stewardship Sunday, we're invited to respond to the Lord's generosity to us by bringing before God our first fruits, a portion of what God has so generously given. God's faithfulness to us is meant to inspire us to follow. We may have let Christ into the living room of our lives, or maybe the dining room or kitchen, but It's also time to let him into the closet where we keep the checkbook. So let us put our money where our mouth is. There's an old story told that during the Middle Ages when soldiers were baptized, it was full immersion, and many soldiers would walk into the water and they would lift their swords above the water. They were willing to be baptized 
all the way to their head, but they wanted their sword left for their defense, not baptized. I sometimes think that today, there are many of us who've been baptized, but we held our wallets above the water. Let us demonstrate that Christ, who is in our lives and in our hearts, is welcome into every room of our lives. Let us do what we can to collaborate with the Spirit of the Lord in opening our hearts and our resources in support of this new covenant, this new humanity. I will put my law within them, writes Jeremiah, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people, says the Lord. Let it be so with us. Amen.